Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris. It's Monday, December 18th. Let's sit down together now and read the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. We'll take a look at the weather first thing. This forecast comes from KCRG. The headline is, Blustery and cold start to the week, but warmer, wetter weather is on the way. The meteorologist is Corey Thompson. Strong, gusty winds will be with us for much of Monday, keeping things rather chilly for now. Temperatures will start off today in the mid to upper 20s for most, and that's just about where they'll stay for today. Northwest winds of 20 to 30 miles per hour sustained, with gusts of 30 to 40 miles per hour, are likely for much of the day. When you factor in those winds, it'll feel more like the upper single digits to mid-tens. Be ready for one of the colder-feeling days of the season so far, especially after a stretch of fairly warm weather for eastern Iowa. Patches of clouds are possible at times this morning, and any of those could produce a snow flurry or two. But more and more sunshine is likely by the afternoon. Skies remain mostly clear as we head into the evening and nighttime hours, and with winds getting lighter, we should see a pretty quick cool-down. Eventually, winds shift to a southerly direction overnight, but stay light enough that we should still hit the mid-tens for lows for most of us. That southerly wind will herald the start of a warming trend, which will already be noted on Tuesday, with highs returning to the mid to upper 30s. A few more areas of clouds will be possible, but they should be scattered and thin enough to still allow a decent amount of sunshine through. The warming trend continues throughout the rest of the work and school week, but an increase in cloudy conditions comes along with it. Highs will be in the low to mid 40s on Wednesday, with readings potentially reaching or exceeding 50 on Friday. A few chances for showers accompany this warm-up, with slight chances on Thursday and Friday. Looking ahead toward Christmas Eve and day in eastern Iowa, the chances of wintry weather look pretty low at this time. Highs are still slated to be in the upper 40s to low 50s, with overnight lows in the low 40s as higher levels of moisture reach the Midwest. A slow-moving snowstorm will give us at least a couple of inches for showers throughout the holiday, with precipitation chances potentially lingering into the middle of next week. A white Christmas looks nearly impossible at this point, though we'll be watching for any changes that could lead toward a different outcome in the coming days. Turning to the front page of The Courier now, we have two articles to read. The first is titled, Making Dinner Preparations. Westminster Presbyterian Church to serve 43rd free Christmas Day meal. Story written by Melody Parker, and the dateline is Waterloo. Volunteers at Westminster Presbyterian Church are busy making preparations for their 43rd annual free Christmas Day dinner. The event is December 25th at the church, 1301 Kimball Avenue. Cold meals can be ordered for drive through pickup between 10 and 11 a.m., or a hot meal will be served at the church social hall from noon until 1 p.m. Prepared by Hy-Vee, the meal will feature turkey, ham, mashed potatoes and gravy, 
stuffing, and a vegetable. Pumpkin pie is from Martin Brothers. Reservations are required for the free meal, due by Wednesday. Call the church office at area code 319-234-5501. Dolly's Transportation has had a long-standing partnership with the church to provide transportation for guests. Drivers are invited to join in the meal. Typically, the traditional holiday meal is enjoyed by 400 to 500 people who gather to eat and share in the Christmas spirit or to pick up dinner to be reheated at home. Anyone is welcome, regardless of faith. Quote, last year, we served close to 600 people, said Jody Fabrizio, one of the event organizers. The majority of meals were pickups attributed to a winter storm bearing down on the area last Christmas. The community meal is a welcome holiday tradition that feeds both body and soul, Fabrizio said. Quote, this event is supported by our church members to provide Christmas Day meals to people who are in need or who are alone on Christmas. It's a fellowship opportunity, but lots of people use the drive through as well, unquote. Westminster operates a food pantry twice a month. Quote, use of the pantry has grown exponentially, she said. She expects many pantry users will take advantage of the free Christmas meal. At least 50 volunteers will participate in the meal, including planning, setting up, and decorating, greeting diners as they arrive at the church hall, serving, and passing out meals at the drive through Bob and Judy Brown organized the first free community dinner in 1981 and coordinated it for 34 years. Bob Brown's Sunday school class had been considering a project outside of the church, and offering the Christmas dinner was the perfect idea. That first year, 50 people volunteered, and about 50 people attended. It grew exponentially, and at the height of the 1980s farm crisis, as many as 700 people partook in the free meal. The community dinner continues to be one of the central projects for the mission committee. Anyone interested in making a donation can contact the church. And the next story continues right along here. Salvation Army Meal is Friday. Dateline Waterloo. The Salvation Army of Waterloo, Cedar Falls, will host its annual Christmas meal from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Friday. Gym doors will be open at 11.15 a.m. The meal is free and open to anyone in the community. Diners must be present. There are no to-go meals offered. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about the Salvation Army, visit sawaterloo.org or call area code 319-235-9358. The next story is titled, Grand Lady Had Zest for Life, Price best-selling Cedar Falls author who died November 20th, is remembered. Story written by Melody Parker. Best-selling Cedar Falls novelist, poet, and artist Nancy Price once said, quote, I love creating a world of my own making that I can enter at will, unquote. She wasn't alone. Readers from around the world and in 18 different languages entered those worlds with her in more than a dozen novels, 
carried along by Price's stories and characters. There was Sarah, who fakes her death to escape an abusive husband in Sleeping with the Enemy. The psychological thriller set in Cedar Falls became a 1991 hit movie starring Julia Roberts. Then there was Miranda, a woman torn between love and revenge in No One Knows. That character leapt out of Price's mind, sat down in her study, and started talking. Quote, she wouldn't stop talking, and all I could do was run behind taking notes. Price said in a 2003 Courier interview, Price borrowed characters Sophia Wentworth and Fortunatus Croft from Jane Austen's Persuasion, creating their earlier lives aboard a British frigate during the Napoleonic Wars in 200 Men, One Woman. Price was 98 when she died on November 20th in Waterloo. She wrote well into her 90s. Her final novel, a sequel to Sleeping with the Enemy, set in Cedar Falls, will be published in about a year. An artist, she also created illustrations to accompany the story. Her son, David Thompson of Cedar Falls, will do rewrites and shepherd the book through publication. This book is, quote, very unusual, he said. It's a sequel, but readers won't know that until the end. It's a novel within a novel, and, more than that, it's a sequel within a novel. Quote, what she's done is pretty amazing, to create a book like this in her late 80s and into her 90s. She wrote it like she wrote all her books. She created the characters and let the characters drive the plot. That's why her books are so remarkable, said Thompson. He was her primary caregiver during the last 10 years of her life, so she could remain at her Cedar Falls home. Price is remembered by friends as generous, lively, curious, gracious, and kind. She was a woman of intellect and spirit, as well as a gifted writer, poet, and artist. Quote, Nancy was a grand lady, said Barbara Lowensbury of Cedar Falls, University of Northern Iowa Professor Emeritus, and author of a recent Virginia Woolf trilogy. Their friendship stretched across more than 50 years. Quote, we met in a 1970s conscious-raising group at UNI, she recalled, with a laugh. Lowensbury was in her 30s, Price in her 50s. Quote, I made an effort to get to know her. We started taking walks and talking about writing. Then we went to plays together, and afterwards I sat at her house and we talked about what we'd seen. I spent many wonderful evenings talking with Nancy. We became good friends. Lowensbury described her friend as a generous spirit who quietly helped anyone in need without desire for recognition and was supportive of community projects. Price was a prize-winning poet, publishing her first poem at the age of 14. More than 100 of her poems and short stories appeared in the Atlantic Monthly, Saturday Review, and the New York Times, before her first novel was published. Born March 16, 1925, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Price spent her childhood in Detroit. Her family moved to Cedar Falls in 1940, when her father, Malcolm Price, became the fourth president of Iowa State Teachers College, now UNI. She earned degrees in English and Art at Cornell College in Mount Vernon, and her master's degree from UNI. 
She married the late Howard Thompson of Cedar Falls, who also taught at UNI. They raised their children, Catherine, John, and David, in a big house on Surly Boulevard, a neighborhood that became a setting for several books, including Sleeping with the Enemy. Price studied poetry with James Hurst, among others. She also attended the Iowa Writers' Workshop in Iowa City, completed writing residences in Italy, France, and Ireland, and received a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship. A UNI professor, Price took a leave of absence in 1968 to write A Natural Death, published in 1973. She later returned to UNI to teach creative writing. Lowensberry said Price, quote, was ahead of her time when Sleeping with the Enemy was released in 1987. Quote, suddenly spousal abuse came into the national conversation. Nancy shared with me some of the many personal letters she received from women thanking her for giving them the courage to leave abusive situations. She felt really good about that, Lowensberry explained. It was bittersweet for Price, she recalled, when the movie was filmed in North Carolina, not Cedar Falls, and it broke her heart that filmmakers altered the ending from her book. The colleagues shared their manuscripts, welcoming each other's comments and feedback. Price also shared her writing with Amy Lockard, Cedar Falls novelist, opinion journalist, and fulcrum contributor. Quote, we were friends for close to 35 years, said Lockard, who took Price's creative writing class at UNI a record six times, three times without credit. Quote, I just loved being in that area. Without being derogatory, disheartening, or cruel, she could rip apart your writing and make it better. I learned so much from her. She was an excellent teacher and amazing writer, Lockhart said. Price became Lockhart's mentor. Quote, she loved to see success among her former students. She was very generous and encouraging. I will always remember her zest for living. I'll miss her. She was a huge part of my life, Lockhart said. Also an accomplished artist, Price created 16 pen and ink illustrations and the book jacket for No One Knows, published in 2004. Twelve of those illustrations are in the Hearst Center for the Arts permanent collection, exhibited in 2020 alongside a Gary Kelly portrait series. Until the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Price continued to socialize with friends, Lowensberry said. Quote, that was a turning point. She worried about going out and getting COVID. I would visit her at her home, and we'd have butterscotch and share manuscripts we were working on. She was a great friend, and I'll miss her, unquote. Quote, Mom would want to be remembered through her books, Thompson added. Any author wants to be remembered through their writing. She has a great body of work that I think people will find interesting to read, unquote. And now for something completely different. Second person arrested in robbery, shooting. Jeff Reinitz wrote this story, and the dateline is Waterloo. A second person has been arrested in connection with a Sunday morning shooting and robbery that left one person with serious injuries. On Wednesday, Waterloo police arrested Carondius Martia Kelly, 24, 
on charges of first-degree robbery, first-degree burglary, and willful injury causing serious injuries. Bond for Kelly was set at $100,000. Authorities allege Kelly was part of a group of people who pulled up to a home on Glenwood Street and attacked Richard Sturdivant as he sat in a vehicle around 4.40 a.m. on Sunday. Court records allege Kelly and others reached into Sturdivant's vehicle, pulled him out, and assaulted him. Sturdivant was shot several times, and items were removed from his pockets, records state. Kelly is the second person to be arrested in the attack. On Sunday, police arrested Marquane Shaquin Smith, 29, and he was charged with robbery, burglary, willful injury, and felon in possession of a firearm. The case remains under investigation. Kelly was recently released from federal prison in May after serving time for firearms charges for a 22 caliber pistol found while searching his home in 2018. Next, man shot in head who fled hospital arrested. Jeff Reinitz is the author of this story, and the dateline is Waterloo. A Waterloo man who fled from the hospital where he was being treated for a gunshot wound to the head during an August 1st robbery has been detained. Police arrested Andarius Desine Reed, 28, on Wednesday for first-degree robbery and felon in possession of a firearm. He was also detained on unrelated warrants for allegedly failing to appear for court in other cases. Bond was set at $100,000. Authorities said Reed was part of a group of people who planned to rob a Waterloo man and his female friend who pulled up on Mohawk Street to sell a stolen Glock handgun. The victim saw the suspects with guns, gunfire was exchanged, and Reed collapsed with a serious head wound. Authorities found a 9mm Springfield pistol underneath Reed when they loaded him into an ambulance. Dondre Germain Seals, 17, pleaded on a reduced robbery charge in November and is awaiting sentencing. Jurors acquitted a 30-year-old man who was accused of being the getaway driver during an October trial. Reed was taken to an Iowa City hospital for the head wound, but disappeared. At the time, he also was awaiting a trial for a July 4, 2021 incident where he allegedly shot an acquaintance in the leg and a September 2022 police chase incident. He also was arrested on a new charge for an April 2, 2023 incident where he allegedly punched a woman. Now, the next installment in the Courier's 20 Under 40 series, Jim Miller found his calling in banking, strives to strengthen the Cedar Valley community. This story was written by Donald Promnitz, and the dateline is Waterloo. Jim Miller wore several hats in his career before stepping into the current role as Cedar Valley Market President at First International Bank. While he's only been with the bank for 15 months, he's played a pivotal role in growing its clientele. According to Miller, he's been able to bring in new people in large part due to being relatively young compared with his colleagues. Quote, I've been fortunate to meet and know a lot of good people here in the community. 
some business owners, whether that's been getting to know them through community involvement on boards or just social activities or at the golf course, said Miller, who is 38. And I'm a little younger than a lot of the team that was in place, so I was able to make some introductions and help grow the bank with those introductions, unquote. He has also taken on multiple roles within the Waterloo-Cedar Falls community. He serves on the board of directors for Grow Cedar Valley, Cedar Valley Tech Works, Sunnyside Country Club, the Cedar Falls Economic Development Corporation, and Junior Achievement of Eastern Iowa, also acting as a regional board member for the latter. He's been spending more time at Waterloo Development Corporation recently, which has been focused on the revitalization of downtown Waterloo. One of its more recent accomplishments was contributing to the decorative lighting on 4th Street Bridge over the Cedar River, and it's in the process of trying to build a new sports tournament facility. Miller said he has a deep interest in the Cedar Valley and wants to see it reach its full potential. He acknowledged its good business. After all, more people and more business mean more clients. But he also wants to strengthen the community and attract more people. Quote, I think, unfortunately, Waterloo gets a bad reputation sometimes, and there are a lot of really good things going on in Waterloo, Miller said. And then, we also have a lot of families that every weekend literally have to leave town with their kids to go play volleyball tournaments because we don't have the space or the facilities here. Miller grew up in the town of Norway. He briefly studied and played golf for Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids before transferring to the University of Northern Iowa to complete his bachelor's degree. In Cedar Falls, he found he enjoyed the community and decided to stick around. Quote, I think growing up in a town of 600 people, when you come to Waterloo Cedar Falls, it feels like a big city at that point, Miller said. I know we're not Chicago or New York, but there's a lot of good things to do here in the community. I loved my time at UNI, so being able to stick around and go to Panther games is a big draw for me. Quote, and really, there's just a lot of opportunity here. You can always find something to do if you're looking, unquote. Miller quickly found his calling in banking. Far from dull, he says it presents something new on a daily basis. Meanwhile, the nature of his work has helped him to gain a greater appreciation of what the Cedar Valley has to offer. Quote, it can be boring, but at the same time, you're meeting with new people every day, learning about new businesses, or what each business does, Miller explained. And really, to me, it's pretty fascinating to go out and meet with business owners here in the community, learn what they do, and see everything that is done and produced here in the Cedar Valley. Quote, and that part is very rewarding and entertaining to learn what we all have in this community, unquote. Amazon Plants Distribution Facility in Cedar Falls Industrial Park, a 53,230-square-foot warehouse site to have $4.75 million value. This story was written by Andy Malone, and the dateline is Cedar Falls. Amazon quietly acquired approximately nine acres in the city's Viking Road Industrial Park 
and is planning to construct a 53,230-square-foot distribution center, the Courier has learned. According to property records, the multinational technology giant based in Seattle, Washington, received the deed in an October 18th transfer of land at the southwest corner of Venture Way and Innovation Drive from Minneapolis, Minnesota-based Ryan Companies, a commercial real estate developer. Economic Development Coordinator Shane Graham previously told the City Council that the distribution facility would be around 50,000 square feet and noted the site has lots of room for truck delivery and employee parking. Ryan Companies acquired the land from the city at no cost this summer as part of a package of economic development incentives for the project included in a 50-plus page development agreement. The northern portion of the site, adjacent to the new intersection, is approximately a 1,000 feet from Ted Electric, Cedar Valley Gymnastics Academy, the gym, and L&N Transportation Services. Google Maps labels 6417 Innovation Drive as a warehouse with the name Project Panther. Andy Moffat, a vice president of real estate development at Ryan, referred questions to Amazon. A spokesperson for the tech firm focused on e-commerce, cloud computing, online advertising, digital streaming, and artificial intelligence declined comment on Wednesday. The vacant property is located in the freshly minted 200-acre western expansion of the city's West Viking Road Industrial Park, meant to attract investment, jobs, and increase the city's tax rolls. Ryan was the first builder to ink a development agreement with the city in the expanded industrial area, made up of 29 total lots south of West Viking Road and east of South Union Road. It was acquired as farmland in 2019, rezoned the following year to light industrial, and later prepared for future companies to sprout up. The council unanimously voted October 7th to provide Ryan Companies with lots 12 and 13 in the industrial park expansion. Ryan is still the developer and has begun work on the site, now owned by Amazon.com Services LLC. Ryan has a history of doing business in Cedar Falls and also has built facilities for publicly traded Amazon, one of the big five American technology firms, along with Alphabet, Apple, Meta, and Microsoft. Amazon assumed all the obligations of the August 7th development contract with the city as part of the more recent assignment and assumption agreement between the two companies, which obtained the consent of the city outside a public meeting to move forward. City Administrator Ron Gaines green-lighted the transfer allowed in the development agreement, acknowledging, quote, that to the best of the developer's knowledge, Amazon has the qualifications and financial responsibility to fulfill the obligations undertaken by the developer in the development agreement, unquote. The 53,230-square-foot warehouse will be a fraction of the size of Amazon's largest facilities, which are far more than double the size of this planned building, according to news articles and the company's website. 
the developer agreement required the Cedar Falls facility to be at least 40,000 square feet. The agreement includes a five-year tax abatement of 75% the first year on the increase in valuation and 60%, 45%, 30%, and 15% in the following years before being put back on the tax rolls at full valuation in year six. Property taxes for just the building are projected to be at least $124,248 annually. The newly constructed facility will have a valuation of at least $4 million and a minimum of $4.75 million overall, including the land. Most construction will be completed within 24 months, as stipulated by the development agreement. New roads and other infrastructure are already in place. Amazon's two lots sit immediately to the east of three parcels previously set aside for a potential buyer for a large project. Graham told the courier those lots, designated 8, 9, and 10, had the potential to be merged for an approximately 35-acre site capable of hosting 300,000 to 400,000 square foot building. A city spokesman, however, said Amazon will not expand or take on another project there. Now, under Capital Notebook, we have an article from Lee Gazette's Des Moines Bureau titled, Satanic Temple Display at Iowa State Capitol Vandalized. The Satanic Temple Iowa's Display at Iowa Capitol, which has sparked outrage, prayer, and debate over the boundaries of free speech, was vandalized Thursday. The display features the statue of Baphomet, a goat-headed figure often used to represent Satan. The display also features seven tenets upheld by the Satanic Temple. The display is set up to remain until Saturday, according to a calendar maintained by the Department of Administrative Services. Photos posted on the social media platform X show the head of the statue ripped off and broken in pieces on the floor. A spokesperson from the Iowa Department of Public Safety said the Iowa State Patrol was dispatched to the Iowa Capitol on Thursday morning for a report of vandalism to the display. Michael Cassidy, 35, of Lauderdale, Mississippi, was charged with fourth-degree criminal mischief following an investigation and consultation with the Polk County Attorney's Office, according to Iowa DPS. No other details regarding the incident were available. The Satanic Temple, Iowa, did not immediately respond to a message Thursday afternoon asking comment, but posted a statement on Facebook. Quote, this morning, we were informed by authorities that the Baphomet statue in our holiday display was destroyed beyond repair. The statement reads, Quote, we are proud to continue our holiday display for the next few days that we have allotted. We ask that for safety, visitors travel together and use the seven tenants as a reminder for empathy in the knowledge that justice is being pursued the correct way through legal means, unquote. Images of the Satanic Temple display 
circulated on social media last week and sparked calls for the state to remove it, including at least one from Republican state lawmaker. Others argued the display is religious expression protected by the First Amendment. In a statement Tuesday, Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds said she disagrees with the display, but implored opponents to engage in speech and prayer rather than remove the display. Iowa Attorney General leads letter urging feds to allow oil pipeline to continue operating. Iowa Republican Attorney General Brenna Byrd is leading a 26-state coalition in a letter to the Army Corps of Engineers, urging it to allow the controversial Dakota Access oil pipeline to continue operating. Byrd, in a statement, said the pipeline supports thousands of jobs and generates property tax revenue that supports essential services, including schools, hospitals, and emergency response. Quote, Dakota Access drives our state forward, Byrd said. Its continuing operation will protect farmers, generate tax revenue for states, and mitigate risk of oil spills. It's safe and reliable with a track record of success. We urge the Army Corps of Engineers to protect states' interests and allow for the Dakota Access's continued operation. Federal officials in September released a draft environmental review with five options for the future of the line's controversial river crossing in North Dakota. Proposals which include removing the pipeline, abandoning it, granting the easement as is, granting the easement with additional conditions, or constructing a new segment north of Bismarck. The agency has not yet weighed in on which alternative it prefers. Bird's letter opposes the Corps' proposed alternatives, including digging up or building more than 100 miles of pipeline, which, Bird argues, will cause significant financial losses and harms to the states and present unnecessary challenges for farmers. The Dakota Access Pipeline transfers bacon crude oil from North Dakota over 1,100 miles to a terminal in Illinois. A one-mile section runs under Lake Oahe, the source of the tribe's drinking water, a mile north of the Standing Rock Reservation. The tribe is concerned a pipeline oil spill could contaminate its water supply, calling for the review and a pipeline shutdown. In 2020, a federal judge revoked the permit for an easement under Lake Oahe and ordered the agency to prepare an environmental impact analysis. The environmental review is key for whether the federal government reissues the river crossing permit. Quote, the proposed alternatives will create a cargo crisis by taking Dakota access oil and redirecting it to trucks and rail, Bird said. One estimate is that it would require 100 car-long trains and 15,000 trucks operating around the clock to get the oil where it needs to be. Quote, those trains and trucks could be transporting agriculture or other goods, and currently are. The shortage will hurt farmers bringing their goods to market, and raise food prices, unquote. And now, listeners, we'd just like to take a moment to remind you 
that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, December 18th on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now let's listen to this announcement. I might not know you, but I still care about you. So if you feel hopeless or if you've been thinking about suicide, please talk to someone. A friend, parent, teacher, or coworker. If you can't talk to them or feel like you have no one there to listen, turn to Your Life Iowa. Things can get better. There are people who want to help you. Please reach out now at yourlifeiowa.org. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now we turn to the obituaries. In Treyer, Joanne M. Anderson, 83 of Treyer, formerly of Jessup, died Wednesday, December 13, 2023, at the Sunrise Hill Care Center in Treyer. She was born April 30, 1940, in West Union, the daughter of Albert and Ziona McIntyre. She graduated from West Union High School and then attended nurses' training in Chicago. Joanne married William R. Bill Anderson on December 3rd of 1960 in Waterloo at St. Paul's Methodist Church. She worked at Allen Hospital and then a few local nursing homes. Joanne took some time off to raise her children. She then volunteered at the local Head Start, which led to her receiving her teaching certificate, which allowed her to teach in home base Head Start. The funeral service for Joanne will be at 11 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday, December 19th, at the Garden View Chapel in Waterloo. Burial will be in the Garden of Memory Cemetery of Waterloo. Visitation will be an hour before the services at the chapel. Memorials may be directed to the family. www.lockfuneralservices.com is available for more information. The family would like to extend their gratitude to Sunrise Hill Care Center in Treyer for their care. Carol C. Nicholson, 80, of Waterloo, passed away on Monday, December 4th, at her home. Carol was born on February 4, 1943, in Columbus Junction, Iowa, the daughter of Stephen and Helen Schenick Nicholson. She was a 1961 graduate of Mount Union High School, where she grew up. She was united in marriage to Marquise Canby on September 9, 1962, and moved to Cedar Falls, Iowa. They later divorced. Carol worked 25 years for the Black Hawk County Courthouse in several departments before retiring in 2005. Carol enjoyed playing games and taking trips with her friends, playing sports, and had a love for animals, especially strays. A funeral service for Carol will be held at 11 a.m. on December 29th at the First United Methodist Church, where she was a member. Carol loved animals, and all her pets were strays. She was also very grateful for the loving care she received from Cedar Valley Hospice. In lieu of flowers, please make donations to Carol's name to the Cedar Bend Humane Society or to Cedar Valley Hospice. Next in Frederica, Willard Holmeister of Frederica, Iowa, passed away on December 12th at the age of 84. He was surrounded by his loving family 
in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after a complicated surgical procedure. Willard was born in Waverly, Iowa, on December 9, 1939, to Henry and Esther Homeister. Willard is the oldest of 14 children and attended country school number 8 before attending Waverly Community Schools. On October 25, 1959, Willard married Marlis Mainey Homeister, enjoying 68 great years together, raising five children, and having lots of fun creating a lifetime of memories. Willard worked with his brothers and sisters on their parents' dairy farm in the early part of his life and other farming jobs until he was drafted into the United States Army in January of 1962. He proudly served his country until October of 1963 and then transitioned to the United States Army Reserves for two years. Willard returned to Iowa and worked farming jobs until he accepted the position of tire manager for farm services and relocated to Keystone, Iowa in 1974 with his young family. Willard ran the F.S. Tire business until 1989 when he purchased and became the owner of Keystone Tires, retiring in 2013. Willard enjoyed working and talking to farmers and helping them get their equipment back in service as quickly as possible. When not working, he enjoyed gardening, cutting down and splitting trees for his wood-burning furnace, puzzling, working on his engines, and dancing the night away with his wife, Marlis, and friends at polka events all over Iowa and Midwest. They particularly enjoyed dancing to the music of Malik's Fisherman Band and Barefoot Becky. Willard was incredibly hardworking, always willing to help someone in need when the telephone rang, and was a tremendous husband, father, brother, grandfather, and friend to countless people that he met during his lifetime. A visitation for Willard will be held on Monday, December 18, 2023, at the Kaiser Corson Funeral Home in Waverly, Iowa, from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m., and for one hour prior to the funeral service. Funeral services will be held at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Waverly, Iowa, on Tuesday, December 19th, at 10.30 a.m., and there'll be a lunch served afterwards. The Denver American Legion Post 653, where Willard was an active member, will perform military honors following the service. Burial service at Keystone, Iowa Cemetery following lunch. Memorials can be directed to Denver, Iowa, American Legion Post 653 at 161 East Main Street in Denver, Iowa, 50622. Online condolences may be left at www.kaisercorson.com and their phone number is area code 319-352-1187. Next is Craig Francis Potter, 73, of Waterloo. He passed away Saturday, December 9, 2023, at Mercy One Hospital in Waterloo. He was born March 11, 1950, the son of Francis and Patsy Summers Porter. He married Louise Fugetti Potter, on October 20, 1973, at St. Edward's Church in Waterloo. Craig graduated from West High School in 1969. 
He worked as a shipper at Viking Pump for 38 and a half years before retiring in 2015. He was a member of Blessed Sacrament Church and enjoyed fishing, playing guitar and piano, and walking at Young Arena. Services for Craig will be at 11.30 a.m. on Tuesday, December 19th at Haggerty Weichoff Grarup on West Ridgeway. Visitation will be for an hour prior to the services at the funeral home. Memorials may be directed to the family. Online condolences may be left at haggertywychoffgrarup.com. Next is Marie M. Smith, age 88, and she passed away on Wednesday, December 13th of 2023. She was born on September 14, 1935, to Simon and Hilke Seifkin in Rhinebeck, Iowa. Mary married James Smith on April 25, 1954, in the Little Brown Church in Nashua, Iowa. To this union, six children were born. She spent most of her life in the Gladbrook, Lincoln area and worked for over 30 years at Parkview Manor in Rhinebeck, Iowa. Memorials to Marie may be sent to the family to be donated to groups of their choice at a later time. Visitation is Saturday, December 16th from 12.30 p.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. at the Salem Church in Lincoln. A memorial service will follow at 1 o'clock p.m and a private family inurnment will be at the Rhinebeck City Cemetery. Next, in Jessup, James Bud Gawicki, 57 years old, of Jessup, Iowa, died Saturday, December 9th, at Unity Point Health Allen Hospital in Waterloo, Iowa. Funeral services for Bud will be at 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, December 19th, at St. Athanasius Catholic Church in Jessup with burial in the church cemetery. Visitation will be from 3 o'clock p.m. to 7 o'clock p.m. Monday, December 18th at White Funeral Home in Jessup, where there will be a scripture service at 7 o'clock p.m. Visitation will continue for an hour before services on Tuesday at the church. Memorials may be directed to the family to be distributed to several of Bud's favorite charities, or to a charity of the donor's choice. Online condolences may be posted at www.white-mounthope.com. Bud Gawicki was born to James and Sally Hall Long on October 9, 1966, in Waterloo, Iowa. He and his sisters were later adopted by their stepfather, Bruce Gawicki. Bud attended Shell Rock and Waverly Schools, graduating from WSR in 1986. He worked as a meat cutter for fairway stores for over a decade at various stores locations throughout the state. He also worked for several other companies, including Bachman Tool and Die, John Deere, ConAgra, and PSI Power Systems International. Bud married Tina Timmons on July 12, 1997, at the Little Brown Church in Nashua, Iowa. He was proud to be a stepfather to son Ryland Timmons and father to daughter Mackenzie Gawicki. In his spare time, Bud enjoyed doing anything as long as he was with his family or friends. He coached youth soccer for several years, 
served on the Jessup City Council, was a volunteer firefighter both in Shell Rock and Jessup, member of the Knights of Columbus, and served on the St. Athanasius Credit Union Board. He enjoyed a wide variety of activities, including fishing and hunting, following the Hawkeyes and his alma mater, the Gohawks, car shows and live music. His thrill for travel and adventure was endless, always pondering on the next trip he could plan with Tina. His greatest pride, however, was Rylan, Mackenzie, Samantha, Nick, and the most recent addition, little grandbaby Charlotte. Bud was so excited to be a grandpa, and we know that he will be Charlotte's special guardian angel. He also was looking forward to walking Mackenzie down the aisle at her wedding in November of 2024. Bud will be remembered for his unexpected visits to his kids and friends. You never knew when Bud would pop by to say hello, bring a treat, or tell a dumb dad joke. He will be remembered for his exceedingly thoughtful, selfless, kind, and goofy demeanor. There was never a favor too large or a task too big that he wouldn't take on for the ones he loved. He was truly one of a kind, and his spirit will live on throughout those whose lives he has touched. White Funeral Home in Jessup, Iowa, is in charge of the arrangements. Next is Patricia K., known as Patty Delagardell Jeffries, 72. She passed away peacefully in Laporte City at Specialty Care after a prolonged illness. She was loved by many. Patty graduated from Don Bosco High School in Gilbertville in 1969, where she was homecoming queen. She was a lifelong member of Immaculate Conception Church, where she crowned Mary during the May crowning celebration. Patty attended Gates Business College, earning a bookkeeping certificate to work in the family business. She married Michael Jeffries. After having three children, they later divorced. Patty was a humble, generous lady, always giving everything she had to those she loved, as well as strangers. She greeted everyone with a smile and a genuine hello. Her customers at Gilbertville Cedar River Milling became lifelong friends. She looked forward to making homemade sweets for her holiday open house to show them how much she loved and appreciated them. When she had her first brain tumor surgery, the cards and well wishes from her customers made her want to get back to work. They became family. Her hard work ethic started at a young age by becoming her dad's right-hand man, whom she idolized. Continuing her devotion to her dad after his death, she stepped up, made sure her mom made it to mass and family events. As a mother and grandmother, she was exemplary. She was the best back-scratcher, malt-maker, or steak-cutter, and overall loving grandma. Everyone was welcomed to her holiday festivities. She married Fred Wall, and when she would close shop on her business for the day, she would walk across the street to put in another four to five hours helping run Fast Freddy's in the old Gilbertville Depot. They also later divorced. Some of her many accomplishments include serving on the Iowa State Extension Board, a Catholic Order of Foresters member, belonged to Prairie Rapids Audubon Society, 
and was honored by Cedar Valley Arboretum as a volunteer. Her master gardening and knowledge of birds was highly sought after in the community. Always giving and motherly, she will be laid to rest with her daughter, Jamie Jo Jeffries, who preceded her in death. A visitation for Patty will begin with the rosary at 4 o'clock p.m. until 7 o'clock p.m. on Monday, December 18th, at Lock at Tower Park, 4140 Kimball Avenue. Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, December 19th, at Immaculate Conception Church in Gilbertville, where she was a lifelong member. An additional visitation will be held one hour prior to the funeral mass, burial to follow at St. Mary's Cemetery in Gilbertville. Memorial contributions are suggested to three things Patty loved, her family, church, and the birds. Please visit LockFuneralServices.com to offer your condolences. Now let's turn back to local news from The Courier. Contractor gets probation in copper theft from church. Story written by Jeff Reinitz, and the dateline is Waterloo. A contractor has been sentenced to probation for allegedly stealing copper fixtures from a historic Waterloo church in 2022. Anthony Joseph Tucker, 36, of Waterloo, entered a written plea of charges of second-degree theft on December 7th in Blackhawk County District Court. He waived his appearance at sentencing and as part of a plea agreement, was granted a deferred judgment, meaning the charge will come off his record if he completes two to five years of supervised probation and pays restitution. A charge of criminal mischief for causing damage to the church was dismissed as part of the arrangement. Tucker had been hired to make repairs to Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church at 633 Walnut Street, and reworked the back entrance of the 112-year-old church. The building is on the National Register of Historic Places and Preservation, Iowa's list of most endangered historic structures in the state. Authorities allege Tucker removed copper gutters and other copper fittings against the wishes and explicit instruction of church officials and sold the metals to scrap. Church officials said interior copper panels and copper pipes from the boiler room were also missing. Investigators obtained records from a metal recycling company showing Tucker sold copper molding in May and June of 2022. He was arrested in June of 2022. Widespread illness temporarily closes in-person learning at Janesville School. After being closed for several days, school reopened on Friday. Dateline Janesville. Janesville Consolidated School temporarily suspended in-person learning this week due to a wave of illness within the district. Classes resumed in person on Friday. Quote, We have 127 sick at this point, which is 25% of our student population. We the school leadership, saw it as getting worse and getting worse fast, said Superintendent B.J. Meany. Quote, we are hoping come Friday that we will have people on the mend, unquote. 
Meany said even at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, the district did not have so many students absent because of illness. Quote, this is close to double our worst COVID outbreak, he said. Granted, not all parents are willing to tell us if it is COVID. Sometimes people are in a rush, or we as staff are in a rush, to get to the next call. We've had reports from parents that COVID, influenza, pink eye, and strep are the four most frequent ailments. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, December 18th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can listen to a recording of this reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just go to our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <laughs>